Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. ARCHICAD is the official BIM software of the Entree Architect community. ARCHICAD BIM software enables design, collaboration, visualization, and project delivery no matter the project size or complexity. With flexible licensing options and a dedicated support team to guide us along the way, ARCHICAD is an ideal choice for firms and projects of any size. I encourage you to reach out and talk to the folks at Graphisoft by visiting our own dedicated webpage at graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect. There's even an exclusive special offer waiting for our Entree Architect community. Go now to graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect and see how Graphisoft is positioned to help make your architecture firm a success. That's graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Farshid Tafazoli, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you for having me. Really looking forward to this. I am looking forward to this too. You and I have been talking for the last several months, just sort of chatting back and forth. I've uh, become friends over the last few months, learning a lot about what you do and how you do it. Um, and I wanted to br- bring you on the podcast and, and share that with our audience. And so uh, you have a fascinating story. Let me introduce you before we jump into that story. Uh, as co-founder and chief business officer of Material Bank, 
Farshid is focused on corporate growth initiatives from strategy to execution and key strategic partnerships across all business units. Farshid has worked alongside Adam Sandow since the earliest days as chief technology officer to build out Adam's vision to create the world's largest material marketplace for architectural design and construction materials. Today, Material Bank is valued at almost $1.9 billion with a B, and Farshid leads many of the Material Bank's acquisitions, including a recent acquisition of Architizer. So a lot of architects saw that happen, sort of antennas went up and like, oh, Material Bank, but Architizer, interesting. Um, and as they build out this vast network surfacing architects and interior designers worldwide, um, super interesting platform that you're building, Farshid. So I'm looking forward to having this conversation and learning more. I am looking forward to sharing this story and this amazing journey. Been very fortunate. All right. Before we jump into the story of Material Bank, I want to learn the story of Farshid. So go back as far as you want to go back and share your story. When did you discover your passion for what you do and maybe who or what inspired you to move it in that direction? Well, uh, I'm going to pick an age, which I think was just a monumental age for, for our family. Uh, and that would be age six. My, uh, my parents uh, decided to move us from Iran to come to the U.S. so that we could go to school for one year. That was the game plan. And the ambition was by going to school for one year in the U.S., we could go back and register at the best school in Tehran, which was the uh, Tehran American School. And uh, all of these plans were just thrown out the window when we came here to the U.S. and had it where, where a revolution took place uh, in Iran. Uh, so no parent obviously wants to take their parents back to a country where there's a current revolution, a uh, tremendous amount of turmoil. Uh, challenges uh, that that are um, hard to believe now with hindsight. But boy, with these challenges uh, came what I think is just uh, my core wiring, which is it was the greatest gift that happened to us as a family. It was the greatest thing that happened to me personally. Uh, 43 years later, while this dictatorship has continued uh, to cause tremendous turmoils that we're all now becoming more and more familiar with, um, it is uh, just really a, a, a delight and a responsibility that I view uh, in order to uh, really maximize all of the opportunities that this amazing country has had for me. So Fourth of July is a very special day in the Tafazoli household and uh, something that uh, that we cherish um, and believe strongly in. Uh, so we came here at age six, uh, you know, in essence, frozen in time, stuck in this country. We uh, were pushed very hard in school. Uh, I left home uh, around the age of 16. I joke that I left with $1,200 to my name, and I thought I was overfunded. Uh, you know, every immigrant I grew up with sort of had a $100 story that they had in their socks. I never understood why it was in their socks, but it was there nonetheless. And, uh, you know, I left, uh, I was in college at that age, and I, I uh, worked and uh, paid my way through school. Uh, and uh, paid my way through through uh, those initial core years. Uh, I was originally supposed to go to med school, and uh, my life was completely changed because I ended up meeting a mentor uh, who introduced me to something I never knew previously. Um, it was called Wall Street, and uh, he was at that time one of um, one of the twelve best investors of that era. Uh, truly a remarkable individual. 
And uh, that foray opened for me what would become a real love and a passion um, in learning about Wall Street. Was that that was before college you learned about Wall Street? It was during while I was in college. So I was during going college. to school. Yeah, on, I, I had adjusted my schedule. I would go to school on Tuesday and Thursday nights and I would work every every moment I could. And, and you were pursuing a medical degree at that point? That's right. A biochem major I, I was at that time. But I had made uh, significant progress, and I felt that by making this pivot, which, by the way, my, my folks were not happy with me in, uh, <laughs> in making this pivot. Uh, they, um, by making this pivot, I felt like I was already uh, you know, in college at a young age. So I felt like I had a little bit of time to really determine whether this pivot was the right thing for me or not. But I was drawn. It was like falling in love with an industry. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to go home. I wanted to stay at work. If I could be there on uh, the weekends, which many times I was, uh, you know, they would have to literally say, you know, you have to go home now. Uh, what, and, what was it about finance that you had such a passion for? You know, there was this very unique approach uh, of utilizing statistics and probabilities of outcome. And being able to make in your own mind a, a determination or a plan or a thesis that you thought could come to fruition, and then express that through essentially transactions. So if you thought that uh, simplistically that you know the Federal Reserve at the next meeting was going to raise interest rates, you could express that through a number of positions that were there. And uh, you got to control what your risk reward analysis was. Uh, and essentially, uh, you were truly seeing immediate results, whether you were right or wrong. And these were these were very important characteristics and traits and learning how to analyze companies, looking for what made a good company, what, what really provided durable earnings for a company, if you will. Uh, why is it that some companies uh, in this very same industry, very same segment, of the economy did incredibly well while their competitors failed. And so I became a student of business. And I, I found that uh, I really, truly enjoyed uh, the inner workings of what was fundamentally taking place, not just in an economy, but those underlying business. Uh, at, uh, in my early 20s, um, uh, I, uh, while working for this gentleman, I should, I should say, he, he forced um, uh, one of the large groups, one of the large uh, companies on Wall Street to essentially hire me, I would have never gotten the job. So I, I ended up working there for a couple of years, met my future business partner, 21 years old, uh, self-funded, we decided to go and start what became one of the first electronic brokerage firms on Wall Street. And the concept wasn't hard. The concept was here we are as institutional investors at a major Wall Street firm. We have a set of tools that the public doesn't have boy, it would be great to take this technology and tools and give it to the general public uh, so that they can become empowered and really have the same advantages. In essence, be on the same level playing field as what we were on. And so I left, started that firm. And uh, what year What year was that? Early 90s. And uh, so pre-E-Trade, pre pre-Scott Trade, pre that whole, you know, consumer yeah, interest in finance. Literally same time, E-Trade, Ameritrade, um, Schwab had a, a phone dial-up version, if you yep. will, of, of that time period. And, uh, you know, our timing was impeccable. There was a lot of, you know, my life is filled with a lot of uh, incredible timing and just pure luck in some senses. 
but we built an incredible platform. It went on to uh, really do something that was unique and differentiated, and we captured percentages of market share uh, and, um, you know, sort of uh, 26, 27, somewhere in there, it became a NASDAQ publicly traded company. And, and it really was, um, was a remarkable uh, experience in building out uh, one of the early players that helped change an industry, if you will. And you were co-founder of that company. I was co-founder of that. That's right. Yeah. And, and so I, you know, I continued uh, just uh, as an entrepreneur, I'd like to describe myself as insecure. I think a lot of it is uh, a lot of the childhood, uh, uh, you know, uh, issues that you go through in, in sort of seeing extremes, uh, but it really empowered me. I, I wanted to go uh, without a, a single day in between. I went on to start a number of other businesses that were all collectively at the intersection of Wall Street uh, and software. And, uh, you know, as time progressed, uh, I had an incredible, uh, you know, I, I would say fortuitous meeting where where Adam Sandow and I met. We actually met um, our, our kids uh, were in the same school and our daughters introduced us. And so we went from that amazing time period and we we broke the cardinal rule of working together we've been working together now for gosh over 12 years he's an incredible leader he's got uh, remarkable foresight uh, and above and beyond which he built what was collectively the largest media assets in the world of architect and design can you explain who adam is so listeners would understand who he is and what he's done sure adam sandow is truly a visionary uh, started as a very young entrepreneur uh, who collectively built uh, a media, but he, I mean, this is a Goliath now of that industry. So if you are familiar with businesses such as Lux Interior Designs in the magazine segment, uh, I apologize, Lux uh, uh, Magazine, Interior Design, Metropolis, uh, Material Connection is another business that touches as a material consultancy in this industry. Uh, so there's a business called the Hall of Fame, which uh, essentially every year uh, invites and gathers and inducts members of this community of architects and designers uh, to the Hall of Fame. And so we started with a very advantaged position. This was Adam's idea uh, and his belief that the way that this industry was operating and the pain points that this industry was operating in really were ripe for change. Uh, and, and we took the very first real pain point, and you'll hear, hear me use the term pain point, but we took the pain point of sampling as essentially the wedge to start and work with the community, architects and designers, and the brand manufacturers. Those are two sides, two different sides of this community. Uh, to try to bring about uh, significant changes here. And and so uh, before we get into Material Bank, how did you and Adam, was this was, an, this was Adam's idea already when he met you? This was Adam's idea. Uh, we were working previously at, uh, at the holding company inside of the media business. And I'll share with you how this came about. So Adam had acquired Material Connection and Material Connection is, again, the largest consultancy. So if you are Nike, if you are BMW, you name the um, Fortune 500 company, 
and you want to, for example, find the newest material for your shoe, if, for your dashboard, um, any type of product that you're looking to build, you would contact this particular organization, Material Connection, and you would speak to a material scientist and you would use their online database to help find the newest, most innovative materials. But at the time that Adam had acquired it, what would happen is that after you'd gone through all your work and you found the exact right material, the team would essentially, with a post-it, write the name and a phone number and say, contact them, they'll get you their samples. <laughs> and, and Adam quickly connected the dots and said, that's not what the experience should be. They should be able to request samples along the way and have it delivered to them uh, in their hand as they work through these problem solutions. Uh, and that's, that's where the journey really began. And that's where the light bulb went off and Adam identified this problem existed uh, and he wanted to address it first in the area where he had the most significant footprint, which was in the world of architect and design. Uh, myself, our chief operating officer, uh, Peter Fain, uh, and Adam, all three working very closely together. And we started working um, on Material Bank. And fast forward to today, uh, where we started was we took a warehouse, uh, our first initial test pilot warehouse, if you will, was about 75,000 square feet. We flew to Memphis, Tennessee, and we decided uh, that we wanted to place robots day one inside of this facility uh, because the vision that Adam had was really that he wanted to be able to have these architects and designers go to one single website, request all of the materials that they wanted and have it delivered in a single box. Uh, and I think it's important to place in context the world before Material Bank and the world after Material Bank, because, you know, prior to Material Bank, if you were an architect or designer, and I got to go and sit and work with a number of them, you know, largest of firms, medium size and small, I'll never forget, I went to a very large firm in San Francisco, and they were working on a billion dollar plus hotel project. And they were requesting carpets and I was almost like an intern in the background, just learning and observing. They would contact a carpet company. And, you know, about two or three days later, a carpet salesman would come as a rep. They would pull out a number of carpets out of their trunk, come upstairs, lay them out. A bunch of questions were asked. You know, they, that was fascinating to me because two to three weeks later, they would finally start receiving samples of carpets that they were looking for. And that was just one manufacturer. And so it was very obvious that this can be improved, to say the least. Uh, I was certainly used to, you know, a Wall Street trading platform where you click a button and you have instantaneous uh, results and are measured uh, in all aspects. So, you know, the experience before Material Bank was very, uh, it was terrible. It was from the 1920s in, in all candor. And, you know, it was very obvious to us that, uh, this industry was really way behind. While in our modern personal lives, you know, we could all utilize anything. If it was Amazon to place an order and have it tomorrow, we can use Uber to take us to a, a, a particular location in 10 minutes. Um, we could utilize DoorDash to place an order for a meal that we would have in 20 minutes. Our work life in this industry was way back in the 1900s. 10, 10 years behind. Yeah. 
Yeah, 50 years behind. It wasn't even 10 years behind you. So it, that was that was really blaring. And it was just very obvious that that wouldn't last. Uh, but this is a highly fragmented industry. This was a tremendous challenge. You know, if you were ordering as a designer from five different brands, that was five different reps, five websites. Uh, you were going through five emails, and then you would receive five packages. So it was very inefficient, terrible from a sustainability store uh, perspective. And and so we sought to change that. So yeah, and if those five packages weren't what you actually wanted, you had to start all over again, and and do it all over. Exactly, exactly right. So you know, you come now to Material Bank. What what uh, year did this all start happening? So. We really started working on the earlier concepts in 2016, 2017. Um, 2018, we went into what I would call a, a, an alpha or beta version. And, you know, we, we have tremendous advantages. So uh, we also happen to own one of the largest research companies in the world of architect and design. And so we would do a lot of test piloting, get groups together, do survey work. Uh, you know, I, I, I do recall uh, very early on, Adam would gather a group of architects and designers, and he would say, how many of you want to be able to go to one site, place an order from hundreds of brands, millions of products and selections, place that order up to midnight, uh, and receive it the very next day, all in one box. And everyone would almost laugh in the room, you know, right. Would, I mean, how is that possible? Yeah, everyone would say, of course, who would say no to this? And so, so those studies, you know, pointed that this industry was ready for change. Uh, they they viewed that as a stretch, something that was not uh, really achievable, and and so you know we sought the location of of Memphis, Tennessee, as our location for our hub. Uh, you come to MaterialBank.com. You you can imagine uh, today when you register, you have to be approved. You get vetted. You get approved. Uh, but now there are under that one roof, there are millions of products, millions of products all under one roof, hundreds of brands. And so you can find everything that you're looking for. If you're looking for that same green carpet that that hotel, that billion dollar hotel project was looking for, you'll go from all of the brands um, within 15 seconds, you'll click the filters, whether it's a durability, a flammability, a, a localized search you'll find exactly what you're looking for in the 12 exact carpets in 10 seconds. And so you request those sample, 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 uh, and you go through and find your paint and you find your uh, glass tiles, you find your, your wood flooring, your baseboards, uh, the facade for outside, the, the roofing system, whatever it is that you're looking for, you'll find it all goes into one box, order till midnight and you have it the next day. And we provide a lead. So this service is free if you're an architect or designer, uh, you know, and, and uh, that is uh, also a remarkable piece. We've never charged the architect or designer community. Uh, we provide an incredible service that's improved their lives, changed the, the amount of time they certainly spend uh, on searching, sampling, specifying. Uh, and, you know, the way that our our model works is that if you are one of the brand manufacturers and your product was ordered, you receive a lead so that you know exactly which architect or design firm, what that project name was, the phase of the project, the description of it, the contact information for that individual. 
and they can take the transactional portion, which is done away from material bank and contact you directly. So you can maintain all of your relationships that you have. There's no changes, nothing to update, very easy to operate. And on the other side, the, how, how it's monetized, how, what does the, the manufacturer side pay for? Are they paying for that lead or are they paying a membership or how does that work? So it, it is approximately $30. So it's $31 and 50 cents and a $2,000 a month fee. Uh, and, you know, for that 3150 up to five of your products go into that very same box. So you're not charged per item. It's per, on a per project basis. Very small amount if you go over uh, five samples. So that is $31.50, $2,000 a month. Uh, and all of our samples, every package that goes out is 100% uh, carbon neutral. So we have enabled this community to take their entire sampling departments and now in essence with one agreement with us become a, um, a very sustainable sampling program on that side. And on the architecture side, interior designer side, we no longer need the sample library, right? The whole room full of outdated samples, right? Which a lot of us don't have anymore because of the pandemic and the way we now work. Those rooms sort of disappeared during the pandemic. But even, even without the pandemic, those rooms are no longer necessary because of the one-day service. You just pick what you want, and it's delivered to you faster than, than maybe looking through your sample closet for the, for the piece that you think you, you found there. Exactly. And, you know, from day one, our research indicated that this community would like the ability, not the requirement, so it's optional. The same box that you pull out of the FedEx box, you can put back what you don't want to use so that you don't have clutter in your home, in your office. You put it back, you close the lid, and on the other side of it is a prepaid U.S. Postal Service sticker, goes right back to the warehouse and by the way, it's not only sustainable, if it's in perfect shape, it goes back onto the shelf, goes out for the very next project that's there. Uh, and so that provides convenience. Uh, it provides some savings for the brands instead of having to create new samples, send them out. And the products that aren't in perfect shape, uh, I'm also very proud of what we have as a university program. Uh, so we take the products that are not in perfect shape. We give Material Bank access uh, but they can't order samples as a student. And so we take and give them access to, to the platform. Uh, you know, we have 91% of the CETA uh, schools that are on the platform. There's approximately 9,000 students. Uh, and so we deliver the products that aren't in perfect shape to them. They love it. They go through that tactile feel. They learn brands in the ecosystem, know exactly what to participate. You know, so we're also helping educate for these brand manufacturers, uh, the next generation of students that are coming out. And boy, is it fascinating because we get to see when they graduate, they go from a .edu email address to actually landing in the workforce and we get to see that evolution. It's, it's, it's quite cool. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. There's a lot to love about being an entrepreneur architect, right? But trying to figure out our financials on our own is not one of those things. Luckily, we have FreshBooks, the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for business owners like us. FreshBooks takes all the not-so-fun parts of running a business, from building and tracking invoices to managing online payments 
to organizing expenses and automates them with features like the digital bills and receipt scanner, saving you up to 11 hours a week in the process. It's also super easy to get up and running and the award-winning FreshBooks support team, they are always available to answer any questions along the way. Compare that to some of the other financial management tools out there. Try FreshBooks for free for 30 days, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash architect to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash architect. So what will you do with 11 more hours each week? This episode is brought to you by rcat.com. We all have that one story, that one project that had such a unique situation that it required a solution that you had rarely considered before. We share these stories in private professional circles with our friends and our colleagues, but there has never been a collection of these stories of conflict and triumph all in one place until now. Detailed is a podcast series that features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who share their insights and expertise as they highlight some of the most complex, interesting, and oddball building conditions that they have ever encountered and the ingenuity it took to solve them. Join host Sharice Lakeside, a.k.a. CSI Kraken, a senior specifications writer at RDH Building Science as she uncovers lessons learned to help you navigate similar challenges that may arise in your next project. Detailed, an original podcast by Artcat. Listen and subscribe right now at artcat.com slash podcast. That's arcat.com slash podcast, A-R-C-A-T dot com slash podcast. Detailed, every building has a story. Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. It's such an interesting platform. It, it's, it's when oh, I want to ask about the scale of it, right? In order for this to actually work. Um, to, for me to go, be able to go into materialbank.com, find what I'm looking for, click, 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 hit the button. And tomorrow I get the box full of samples of anything that I ask for, right? That's right. Pretty much any, any sample that I need is going to be there. How does that technically work? Right. I'm based in North Carolina in Charlotte, North Carolina. How, how does it logistically work? It's a massive idea. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, we built this to scale from day one. We make it very light lift, next to nothing, whether you have a thousand SKUs or whether you have a hundred thousand SKUs. We come onto the platform on the website of the manufacturer and we pull all of the data and information. Uh, we have our own team of material librarians, data scientists who streamline this data and can have you up and running on the website in no time. We then send a request list for items that need to be sent to our warehouse facility. All of this can be done in under two weeks. Okay? And so they send all of this material and we've gone through and solved first many of the pain points that existed on the data side. And we did that by going and acquiring our own PIM, which is product intake management system, so that every bit of data is streamlined. The second part of that is the the physical hub, which is, as I mentioned, next to the main FedEx super hub of the U.S., 
they receive the products and they put them on the shelf. And once they get them on the shelf, it is live on the platform. And when you are requesting one of these materials from that brand, it goes aggregated into that box. When that order is ready to be shipped out, and boy, we get into some amazing details in our technology even there. We know the personalities of each and every architect and designer. So for example, do they always come in around 11 a.m., sample once, you close the box and they're done? Or is this a grazer, somebody who comes a little bit at 11, comes back at 1230, comes back at 4 p.m., comes back again, which over a third of our orders are taking place um, really after 9 p.m. Eastern. And so we identify so that we don't go through and have multiple shipments. We're efficient with sending out packages. We close these packages. It is a remarkable process. Uh, and it's it's really interesting because you know, we look at businesses like Amazon and they have a really relatively easy fulfillment process compared to us. Uh, you know, when you think about Amazon, they're essentially taking a current box, a consumer good package, and they're placing it in another box. With us, we have two pieces of carpet tile, a piece of glass, a piece of porcelain, a hand painted uh, wallpaper that took place. You know, Anything that you can imagine, a brick goes into this, and all of that has to be packaged and presented beautifully uh, to that designer and shipped out overnight. So the complexities, because we have over 200 categories of products, the complexities are just far vast. These packages get closed. We stop accepting orders for that day at midnight, and somewhere around 2.30 a.m., we pull up to the airplane of FedEx. They are loaded in. That's 2.30 Central, which is 3.30 Eastern. And by 10.30 in the morning, everyone throughout the country has their packages. So it, it is a remarkable uh, operation in that sense. And, you know, you should know just you asked the question of scale. Uh, you know, we are generating millions of leads for this industry. We've become the single largest provider of leads to this industry. A typical night now is six figures of samples that are going out. So wow. very, very large numbers. We're driving a good segment, of, a good part of this industry. Uh, and I'm happy to dig into that and tell you, you know, sort of uh, share with your your audience what what the user adoption rate looks like, the number of users. Yeah, accepted. that's where I want to go next is the future. I mean, if 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 you're, you're saying this is one warehouse. This is currently one currently. warehouse. That's right. So, so right, and you're very early in this in this business in this and the adoption. We're in our fourth of year of business. Yeah, and, and and haven't really even penetrated architects yet. You're really focused primarily on interior designers up front, um, and so you haven't even even touched the architects yet. And that's so right. What 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 does Material Bank look like in five years? That's right. So it's really going to expand in a number of capacities. One is the categories. It is going to expand towards the architects products that they are also looking for, which is a world in itself, as you know. We also, outside of these uh, categories, are going into geographies. So we are just in the process now of opening a material bank in Europe. Uh, I just got back from our hub, which is uh, outside of Paris. We are also opening 
these are both going to be in Q1 of 23. We're also opening our next operation in Japan, uh, which is Material Bank Japan. So, so you're going international before expanding into the into deeper into the United States. That's right. But there's you know we're we're growing a hundred percent plus minimum each year. So we're going to get there very, very quickly. Yeah, we're doing, <laughs> yeah, we're, we, we, we take on a lot. We're very ambitious. We've proven the business model to scale. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the, the incredible $1.9 billion uh, valuation that we've achieved to date. We're, we're very, very ambitious. We've raised over $325 million. Uh, we have everything that we need. We have the capital that we need. We have the intensity that we need. Uh, really, the one area where we're always looking is for more talent. We do look for exceptional uh, individuals uh, who can contribute to to what we're working on. Uh, and the adoption um, in terms of categories, just so that I, I'll, I'll mention it to you, is uh, we in the top 200 largest architect and design firms, we all know the number one giant in the industry. So if you take number one through 200, and you take and segregate just North America, these firm, these companies are worldwide. Uh, so uh, these firms are all over uh, the world. But if you take just North America, top 200 largest A&D firms, we're in over 98% of those firms. Um, if you take corporate America, which is growing like wild cakes. So this is corporate America's internal design teams. We have the who's who, every hotel chain, internal design teams, uh, but companies like Apple, Microsoft, Starbucks, uh, Target, for every single type of project, we are approaching uh, very large percentages of uh, corporate America's internal design teams. And so these organizations also utilize architectural products and are also international. So many of them will come with us as we expand to these other uh, locations and geographies that I mentioned to you, as well as these other categories that we're expanding. Uh, we also have many, many of the, the, the brand partners have, you know, uh, Formica comes to mind. Formica owns Trespa, owns a number of, of incredible brands that are on that architectural side. Uh, so they, they are also coming with us in this journey. Is the plan to just, um, not just, basically stay focused on materials and build out this material bank throughout the world? Is there a next step that once you have this completed, what's the next step beyond that? So we, we have been working um, from day one uh, with the vision that we have a true game changer for consumers. And we will launch our consumer offering uh, in 2023. And that is not called Material Bank. It will be called Design Shop. And the organization is very focused on bringing um, the, the radical changes and the improvements uh, that we think are just going to help simplify design decisions. Uh, so that's that's a very large initiative and part of the investor bet. Um, but I can share with you what's coming next on Material Bank. We're about to launch Material Bank 2.0, uh, which is the next generation of, of the platform. So, you know, in terms of Material Bank 2.0, what we're doing is we have taken a very advantaged position in owning a lot of content. So these are the rights to images. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier in the in the 
broadcast, um, you mentioned uh, that we were taking, uh, that we had acquired Architizer. Uh, we've been acquiring a number of businesses, and there's more to come, both in the architectural side as well as on the design side. Uh, some of them we, we may not announce uh, candidly, many of which we probably won't. Uh, but we've built what is a treasure trove of content. And the reason that we're building that content is we took and learned another uh, very important pain point in this community. And that was, we asked the audience, where do you go when you want to find inspiration? And the answers were consistent and they were terrible at the same time. So the answers were just continuously, we go to Pinterest, we go to social media, and we go to Google Images. So if you're hired as an A&D firm, you're hired to uh, rebuild a hotel or to build a, a, a boutique hotel bar, uh, your team is going to Pinterest, your team is going to uh, social media, and your team is going to Google Images. But guess what? The group that owns the hotel that just wrote you a check for $150,000 they also go to those same locations and they type in Pinterest just like you did, boutique hotel bar. And so they come back with the same images and they see them in their presentations. And the most uncomfortable moment is when the community turns uh, to each other and says, oh yeah, I saw that on Pinterest. And you know, it's got the cheesy banner ads. It's just not what it was intended for. So we took that massive pain point and we built what is essentially a private ecosystem version of these inspiration engines. And unlike these other inspiration engines, ours is not public facing. You won't find this image on you know, Google Images or on Pinterest. Interesting, yeah. And so you can type in our system in Material Bank 2.0, boutique hotel bar, interior, exterior, architect. You could say, I'm looking for large living rooms, uh, living rooms with large glass windows, uh, right? To take an architectural twist to it. And so you'll get lots of images. But when you click on each of these images, the difference between our experience and others, one, it's not available anywhere else, but two, we've identified every manufacturer and every product. So you can go directly from that inspiration to requesting a sample to then leading you to your specification and your transaction. And you know, this is enormous in terms of an undertaking. Um, you know, we brought on projects, books, uh, furniture, or magazines. Uh, architectural plans, uh, mood boards, sketches, renderings, you name it, we brought it into it. If that wasn't crazy enough, we've even had um, students who've been driving around Europe and the US uh, that have literally been out there purchasing one of one uh, books, publications. Uh, some of them, there's two, three books left. We're spending a lot of money on these. They're purchasing these, shipping them back, and we have rooms full of robotic book scanners where they're scanning these pages so that you can go through the experience. If you're looking for European wallpapers from the 1800s, we've got you covered. If you want to know what the facade looked like you know, in the 1600s in, in Austria, we'll have you covered. Uh, and so this is just truly differentiated, taking digitizing a world and an industry that has previously not been able to have actionable inspiration, which is, by the way, what we call it. Take your inspiration, click sample, take it to specification, place the order, and move forward. Yeah, it's fascinating. Because as you were telling that story, 
I'm thinking about the way that was done before the internet, where architects would have libraries full of books of inspiration that they enjoyed or they were inspired by, and that was their inspiration. Or, or you would have an architectural library. If you were in a city, there might be an architectural library that you can go to and, and look for that inspiration. And that was the way it was done, right? You would go to the library or you'd go through, through these architectural journals that you would subscribe to, these magazines, and you would have a walls of these magazines also that you would be able to open up and flip through. But then the internet came and all of that stuff sort of went away because the internet was quick and easy and efficient, which led us to that problem, right? Where, where we're looking at Google and we're looking at Pinterest and we're looking at images that anybody can see that have been duplicated and replicated over and over and over again. And so you've recognized that pain point and have solved that problem too, in a very big focused way. Um, fascinating to see sort of uh, what can happen when you have the resources to, to fix the problems that you see um, and, and fix them in a very uh, experiential way, right? That it's not just uh, functionally working, uh, experientially, right? You're de designing the entire experience for architects, which is very important to architects, right? The experience of how they go through a process and what they see on a screen or however, or when the box comes that the box is presented in a, in a very specific way, that's important to architects and designers. Uh, and so, so not only have you not, have you solved the problem, you've done it in a way that we'll, we'll find delight in that problem being solved. It's uh it's really interesting to hear the story of material bank, but it's, it's, it's inspiring to see where it's going. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh we do place a lot of attention to details. We do really try to get it right. Uh, we work very closely with this community. This is an amazing community. I mean, this is a very conscientious, focused industry where they truly know wh where their pain points are. Uh, and it's it's been an amazing ride to work with them and resolving and bring to people something that you can't buy, which is more time back in your day. Yes, for sure. Marcia, thank you for sharing this story and and sharing sort of the inside of what's happening in the past and in, in the present and the future at Material Bank. Uh, it's a fascinating story. And to hear your story, to have come here from Iran when you were six years old and essentially stuck here and and not being able to go back and and have that entire story lead up to where you are today. Uh, it's a fascinating story. So thank you for for sharing it. Before we, we wrap things up here, I'd love to ask you uh, the one question that I ask everybody, because I'm, I'm looking forward to your answer. What is the one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Gosh, I, in any business that I've ever focused on, I really try to find a unique selling proposition. And I try to build businesses that are durable and have layers of moats around them. Uh, you know, so uh, whether it is taking and embracing uh, what the typical process is for other firms and removing those pain points, the happier your customer and the more you're obsessed with who your customer is and what their experience is like. If that takes technology, that's generally been, you know, my formula and generally today's era of formula, the happier you can make them, the more likely you will have a tremendous amount of success. His name is Farshid Tapazoli. The website is materialbank.com. Farshid, thank you. Thank you for 
the service that you're providing to our industry, you're fixing a lot of problems that we have. Um, I think I think there'll probably be lots of architects and designers that find the services you provide uh, delightful. I think a lot of architects will hear what you're saying and will will be afraid of it, right? Because this is new and it's technology based and it's and it's uh, automated and all these things that architects fear. Um, but it's the future, right? This is the way that our profession is moving, right? It's technology is changing the way the profession is done. Um, at every level. And Material Bank is a big part of that. And so I'm looking forward to the, the benefits that come from having such a service and, and the, the platform that comes along with it. Uh, I appreciate you for coming on the Entree Architect podcast and, and being so transparent and sharing the knowledge that you have. Uh, appreciate you for coming by. Thank you for having me. And thank you to all of the users. Uh, we, we truly hope uh, and, uh, that you appreciate the tools and um, we appreciate uh, the support that you've provided us. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, share a link with a friend. That's how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands of architects just like you. Please share a rating, write a review, share a link to this episode with a friend. I'd appreciate it. Links to all our sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. It's the network dedicated to architects, engineers, and construction pros. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at Gable Media at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Go check it out. We have, I think... 13 podcasts over there now gablemedia.com and before we wrap up a special thank you to our partners at graphisoft for helping our community of architects make the transition to bim with archicad software go now to graphisoft.com slash us slash entree architect and see how graphisoft is positioning to help make your architecture firm a success visit graphisoft.com slash us slash Entree Architect to learn more. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage. Love, learn, and go share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then you know in your head you've rooted like oh i'm connected to these people like long term 
The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. (laughs) So for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.